Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Wondering Forum. It is now the next Wednesday, the 30th, the last day of June. How is everyone doing? Um, I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Lots of family healing has been happening, as we talked about in the last episode. You mean just in this last week? In this last week. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, that's good news. And I, I too, I'm doing well. I'm interested to hear um, our co-host. What what name do you go by, Will? William? Oh, yeah. Both of those. Willing is what's on Wondering Farm. Whichever name you want to go by. I, I was going to ask you. How well, you I'm know. willing. I'm, And I can be willful. <laughs> Will, Will for short. William, Willie, Will I am. Glad people call me Bill. Bill. Okay, I'll call you Bill. How have you been? It's sir? more it's more lippy. Bill. <laughs> Bill. Will is a little softer. Will, Will. <laughs> Whipper Will. Whipper Will. Max, what do you call call him? Just call him dad? Yeah, I usually call him dad or willing. Because willing seems like a a call sign. Like a ham radio operator. Yeah, it's a very positive sounding word too. Yeah, I tr- I test for willingness quite a bit in my world from yourself and others. Yes. <laughs> so let's get back to, into the topic. Let's we'll have a intergenerational healing episode too here. All right. You're willing. <laughs> I am willing. Yes. <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, we can't all be willing. <laughs> No. <laughs> Guys, it's uh, just what's happened in the last seven days has been so much that it's it's hard for me at this point to really put it into words. I I can try to do it, but um, it's it's a lot to sort of process. I'd you say, may be right in the middle of it. Yeah, and it's poetic timing that we started just last Wednesday before it all started coming into place, I'd say. So... So tell our listeners and our hosts here about last Wednesday after we did the podcast and then we tell them what happened that evening with me, you know, telling you about my visit with my parents and our plans for Friday. Yeah, I had tried to, I guess, forgive what happened in the past and not even necessarily them, just everybody involved. And that night when my dad here, Ace, was getting together with them again, I finally broke down in tears and started messaging my grandma for the first time in three years, I'd say. Three and a half years. Uh Uh-huh. And I was completely open to seeing them on Friday night. In fact, I was wondering if I could even wait until Friday to see them. Hmm. Wow. Wow. And what about um, your brother? (laughs) What about my brother? (laughs) What was was his reaction? He was already ready. I was a little bit salty about the whole thing, as I like to say. I was like, after all they did, why can't they? Why are they coming back into our house? Why did they get to step foot in here? <laughs> and then just later that night, I started messaging them and was like, hmm, I wonder if I could see them tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. So your your heart about the whole situation and towards them just changed to be 
mm-hmm. compassionate and <laughs> my brother was just waiting for me to reach that breaking point i guess i'm more stubborn or have a stronger will than he does i don't know <laughs> so the the plan was to have them over to our house on friday night last mm-hmm. week and we were all looking forward to it i i knew it was going to be a very good visit and just because I had spent three and a half hours with my parents on Wednesday afternoon, just before our podcast, we invited them over for dinner and they came over and we had just the very best time with them than probably we've ever had. And so it was just amazing. Like if we could have hoped for a out of 10 experience, it was a 10. It, it was truly amazing. I felt they were really well real with us and the space and the time that took for us to get here was completely necessary because Mm. now we have this new value to each other and the things that used to matter don't matter anymore. And might even say it's breaking out of stagnant thinking and putting the metaphysical world into motion again. Okay. Wow. Do you think that this is a sensitive time where new information and ideas and things have to kind of percolate internally as you're remerging your communities are like coming back into like a single community or do you feel that kind of things are back to normal or or better or something in between better it's of a much higher quality there's a new understood and um, mutual appreciation for the value of what we have and um, to not take it for granted and to not let the silly things that maybe we would have used to have argued about or whatever, uh, to not let those kinds of things come between us. So yeah, being a lot more choosy about kinds of things that you'll let divide you. Mm -hmm. And while it took weeks to get to that breaking point, it seemed like it happened instantaneously because we were all in sync on having them over and that it was the right thing to do. And and then that night was wonderful and we were proven right. And I've seen them every day since, just a little bit. I ran into them at the store, just showing up in my life more. <laughs> we're even going to keep in touch when I'm out of town. It's... I'm still in shock about the whole thing (laughs) because it just went up like a roller coaster. (laughs) It it was a process, I think, for me of about a year. It was about a year ago that I was like, I think that the, the family dynamic is fundamentally toxic. Like we don't have any toxic behavior, but the dynamic itself is toxic. And it has to change. And I didn't know what to do. And every time I tried to think of an idea, I would be left very quickly with, well, what's the next step after that? And I was so stuck with what's the next step that I never could take the first one. And so, you know, a month or two ago, when I started to really think about contacting my dad, I I would always be met with, okay, what's the next step after you do that? And I decided finally, I don't know what the next step is and that's okay. So I just met with him and I was like, 
I don't know what's next, Dad, but I'm committed to continue to meet with you as long as we can do it in a healthy and peaceful way. I think we should continue to meet. And so after that first meeting, I was talking to Jenny, my wife, and she was she was like, you know, um, some advice that uh, a friend of ours had given us years ago when we were going through some marriage trouble and we were getting counseling. This advisor of ours told her the best way to move on from something very traumatic is to uh, the next step is to build new memories because it's a lot easier to build on those new memories than to try to build on sorting out the past. And I was like, wow, that's really sage advice for us. Like, just do it. Get together, hug necks, take responsibility for yourself. And just let the next things happen. But you can't get to those next things if you can't humble yourself to get together and mutually forgive. So Mm, good advice. I mean, it seemed like a weight was lifted off my shoulders just that I had been carrying. And I didn't realize how heavy it was until it came off. So I would call it an emotional detox Mm. is the best way I could describe it. And uh, real quick, I would say also for this last year, my journey of sort of honing in on the issue and what can be done and what was possible, just the couple of people out of a handful (laughs) that I talked to about these things, very, very sour on the idea of contacting my family. And I finally, just over the last few months, got to the point where I have been sort of mm, reducing the voices in my life that are so adamantly opposed because I just knew that I love these people and I, and I respect them, but I just believe they were wrong about this. So I just had to kind of tune those out and do what I believed was right. And I'm so glad I did. Perhaps they were just trying to protect you because they love you too. I'm sure that's true. But now they, they're just happy that we're happy. Beautiful. And also the sort of details of the interactions have sort of uh, dispelled their, you know, preconceived ideas about the situation. I think. I, I don't know how to say good luck. Um, um, I, I wish you the best in your healing process and your reprocessing everything and getting to a place of real uh wisdom about the whole thing thank you my friend i'm trying to remember kind of where our talk was going last week because it was getting good we were just getting started with that well there's a lot of trauma that we could bring up (laughs) there's a lot of trauma in this world something that's on my mind that might be too much of a tangent already is the Um, the story about the unmarked graves at the residential school in British Columbia, where the, so that's their, their equivalent of the, um, what they called Indian schools here, I think, where they would take natives and children and tell them, you cannot practice your way of life. This is your new way of life. You cannot dance. You cannot speak the language, et cetera, et cetera. And, it's, it's kind of a hot topic, I guess you could say right now in a lot of communities. And I guess 
it, it's boy, it's heavy. It's heavy. But there I, I went there. That's where I go sometimes. And I think of what, what kinds of trauma are what kinds of trauma are we capable of healing and what kinds of trauma are we incapable of healing? That's not, not forever because I think that in, in due time we, we will heal, but you know, presently. Um, so yeah, that's pretty, it's, it's a pretty sour note on, on like such a triumphant return of the, uh, of your family. <laughs> oh Yeah. Yeah, it crossed my mind because my grandma is really ill. We don't know how much time we have left with her. And it crossed my mind that if we didn't have the healing now, we might have never gotten it. Absolutely. And so bringing up that part of your heritage and history, that is certainly something to sort, sort through. And I think to some extent you can come to peace everything but it's still a trauma that will never be able to be resolved because it's already happened and that brings me uh to in my mind to like working on healing past lives and healing in the spiritual realm mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean this is we i mean this is all this is, this is I mean, this show goes all over the place. I hope people don't mind. Yeah, let's go. Let's dive. I like this. (laughs) And I I remember you mentioning before the concept of healing over between past generations and present generations. And maybe we didn't get very far into that, but I found the, the idea of it just very fascinating and beautiful. Tell us more. Well, yeah, one thing that I've heard about from mediums, hypnotherapists, and others who kind of try to work with the the hereafter is that we can actually heal ourselves and even our physical bodies through the process of healing our ancestors. Um, like it's said that when we pass on, you know, what we don't we don't know what happens, but it's said in some circles that that you you go into like this very extremely loving space, but you might still not be perfect. You don't just enter the source and you're, you're, you're perfect again. You actually want to keep working on yourself, keep doing, coming into lives over and over to learn lessons and keep improving. And I don't know, but I, I guess I figured that there are things that even like my grandparents might've left this world with that is kind of a form of baggage that that actually can go with them and i figure that if we if we learn how to heal that and i don't know how to approach that if not just prayer or something uh maybe oh here this connects back to the thread of the of the first one uh willing you brought up epigenetics and how perhaps we can pass down trauma to our children and children's children, like in our, like in our physiology. Um, And that there could be, at least I've heard in those like spiritual circles that there's actually maybe a few different things that can happen. There's the one that's physiological, like the DNA 
is traumatized and you get that traumatized DNA, it may show up as illness or malfunction or in some way. Um, there's also the spiritual kind of like your connection to your relatives. And then there's like even another kind where you, there could be past lives involved. <laughs> so I'm just trying to shine light on all these different paths. It doesn't mean that we have to take all of them. Anyone want to wander down these with me though, please I feel do. free. I do. <laughs> and while we were muted, I looked over to my dad and I was like, I have actually speculated that we have past lives that will teach us in different ways how to get to that level of perfection that you were saying. And I've studied the Myers-Briggs for a while. And while I don't like the idea that people can be typed, I have found it useful in my life. But it didn't start to get particularly interesting to me until I got into the topic of four sides of the mind. Are you familiar with that terminology? No, please tell us in the audience. <laughs> well, essentially, it's four different Myers-Briggs types that we all pull from. And between the four sides of the mind, there are eight cognitive functions that you can learn to master over time. So to keep things simple, think of it as um, a box and there's four types in this box. And one section you can reach through humbling yourself at your most insecure point. So you can humble yourself to know, okay, I'm not so good at this area. And then there's the third side of the mind. But I, I call this the one the unconscious because it's the weaker four functions. And this is where you can achieve wisdom from. So to back up, the first side of the mind is what I call the ego, the type that you are automatically using. Like your primary go-to type? Yes, primary. That's a good word. Okay. And the second mind is the subconscious. It's kind of what you aspire to, but at the same time, it could be your most insecure point if you're an unhealthy person. And then the third side of the mind is your four weaker functions. And the fourth side of the mind is kind of where all hell can break loose or the most angelic side of you can be shown through. Do you mind going over those last two again? Yeah. So the third and fourth use the four functions that you're not born using as well. It's the less preferred ones. So for people to achieve wisdom in this area is a hard thing to do. <laughs> but with the first two, you're using the four functions that kind of feel like second nature. So unconscious would be stuff that it's like even difficult to access in your own mind. Yes, that, that's exactly it. And it just shows up in some of your darkest times. So if you're frustrated about something or you're anxious about something, you're gonna feel it from those four functions within that third mind. That sounds like, and I, 
I mean, you could tell me if I'm wrong, but that sounds to me like it could be a domain of intergenerational trauma or or species yeah. trauma or something like that. Yeah, it certainly could be. That wouldn't be far-fetched. Well, so much of our cognitive functions are essentially rooted in trauma response. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of hard to separate the things, I'm, I'm sure. That's true. Okay, moving on. Could you please review the fourth one? So if you call the first mind the ego, you call the fourth mind the superego because you're using your weakest four functions. And when you are forced to go into your fourth mind, that can end up in psychopaths, people who have found that their first three minds aren't enough will resort to using their superego in a demonic form. Essentially, it's when they've hit rock bottom and they just want to see the world burn. Huh. That's interesting that there's some speculation or theory that we all have that. Inside of us. Yeah. I do wonder because I think we're built differently. I mean, because like you could see what is it that um, in war, soldiers would say that you could tell who a person was and they're when they're facing life or death or whatever and some would fade away some would go kicking and screaming um and everyone has like a different behavior when facing doom so i wonder if there's would someone who kind of like passes away with <clears throat> even if it's a violent you know, passing with some composure, <laughs> does that mean that they don't have this fourth mind or that it's very small or that that fourth mind serves a different function? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And the fourth side of the mind, it can be demonic or angelic. So mm. in this severely evil and where a person's sin nature lies, it can be angelic and out of this world loving and caring essentially it's the hate and love aspect of ourselves uh, the super ego wow and that almost sounds like you could like once again i mean ace makes a good point that you don't have to relate everything because it's all it's all interconnected but another way you could see that too is like the higher self um the the trauma or the special skills that have been built up over maybe many lifetimes or whatever or whatever gifts you've been given by the creator could be that realm so it might be someone who's more loving and, and generally of the human race might be might tend towards like some yeah some like superhero jump in front of the moving train kind of action to save someone or whatever <laughs> Yeah, that's the area where I think, yeah, just picture a creator. I personally believe in God. And this is actually an area where psychologists have found there has to be a creator of some sort because ultimately the superego is your very inner morality, I'd say. And it's also your weakest mind. So when you can harmonize your first, second, and third mind, that means you have taken your ego, your safe zone, and you've gone to your subconscious mind. So you're humble in knowing you don't have all the answers. And the third mind 
you find where you're most afraid and you can learn to access all those functions within the third mind to gain wisdom. So now you have wisdom and humility, but you have to have harmony with those first three minds before you can reach that fourth mind in its full. So Max, when you mentioned the concept of having past lives, I myself have wondered if we are doing that constantly, going through different cycles of life until we finally reach that superego. I don't know what you think about that. And Ace, if you want to add anything. Oh, it's it's a fascinating thought and kind of blows my mind, but yeah. <laughs> wow, yeah. So to you know, if the goal is to kind of reach the superego so you can finally do that like very hard work on yourself, uh, I could see that happening. I just did a, a, a purpose guide program in order to try to access what they call uh, through the work of Bill Plotkin and others, um, Carl Jung and some others, the concept of, uh, of a kind of an eco awakening that can happen to your ego rather than shedding your ego completely. You kind of like rebuild your ego around this concept of like, why did I come here to this planet? Sort of kind of like, what is my... Uh, what is evolution's purpose for me? And it and it, it's not just like eating and pooping. It's having to do more with uh, the kind of what sounds like you're calling fourth mind, maybe, where you are living a mythopoetic identity is what they call it. <clears throat> um, a kind of uh, a calling that isn't purely one of the four default directions, they call it which is interesting because the four and the eight show up in this, in this study as well. And, and other, and other uh, traditions around the world as well, four and eight, it shows up a lot anyway, but, but a, a place of balance in this like wheel. And it's interesting too, that I think it's Buddhism has an eight spoked wheel of extremes and you find this like harmony in the middle where you can exist in balance with the world and spirit. But yeah, so I can see how the um, a lot of the meditations and things are, are kind of to break down your ego, break down your, and even your subconscious habits, um, because it identifies kind of three, and I suppose you could find four if you wanted to, purposes in a way. You've got your default purpose, which would be, let's say, when when I went through my first awakening in 2006 or so, it would have been, I just, I went to school, graduated, got a degree, got a job, making money because that's what you're supposed to do. I didn't really think it through, like, what else, what is, what is my, you know, greater purpose? Then there's your created purpose. So that's like closer to your um, true soul purpose, where I, um, I I realized that what I was doing in my default purpose wasn't fulfilling on a deep soulful level. It's, and it's really hard to describe what that even means. So, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> wow. While you're talking about this, it's a lot of light bulbs just went off in my head. 
because I realize what you're talking about is exactly what I've been researching in a different form, different language is being used. But essentially, it sounds like the same thing. So tell me if this is kind of familiar. Whenever I was studying the four sides of the mind, there are certain life points that people go through to get proof that they have conquered one side of the mind. So the ego sounds like the one you were saying in 2006, going to school, getting a degree, you know, being a competent human, essentially. Now, this would be called a quarter life point, and this is more known as quarter life crisis, but I just call it point because the crisis can be avoided, and I think a lot of people don't know that, <laughs> but the quarter life crisis is essentially when you are, okay, I have a house, I have a car, um, do I want a wife, do I want kids? It's kind of that point where some... A human is discovering what they want and if they're safe in that moment. Then you move on to the middle life point or the middle life crisis. This is where most divorces will happen because, um, what did you call it? The creative? Uh, it's like there's default purpose, created purpose, and then the sole purpose would be like the deepest level. Yes. Okay. So the creative purpose, that sounds like that could be used to describe the subconscious mind and this happens in the middle of somebody's life on average um for you you did it very young because you're a very developed person but most people hit this in their 30s or 40s where they realize hmm i don't know if my life is everything that i've dreamed i wanted i'm gonna try something new i'm gonna be creative to figure out this new side of my mind maybe i have been doing it wrong Let's reach humility, or in some cases, with the immature humans, they will, you know, their marriages will suffer a whole lot because their spouse is trying to get used to this cognitive or emotional change in their partner, and sometimes mm. they can't withstand it. Oh, and it seems out of the blue for them. It seems out of the blue, but actually it's completely natural, and everyone will experience this in some form oh. unless if they have already hit rock bottom in the psychopath zone but <laughs> or they have already passed this point yeah and or perhaps they've had some addiction or substance kind of hijack their their whole being in a way yeah you so you were saying that uh, i am a very developed person and <laughs> and i was feeling great yeah, so you, you had your quarter-life crisis at age 23, whereas most people would have that at, like, 30 or 35. No, it sounds like he had his middle-life crisis at age oh. 23. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry, your 2006 was the... Yeah, this is why I said point, not crisis. Most people think it can only be handled through a crisis. <laughs> the middle-life crisis is what destroys a lot of marriages, because there's a cognitive shift that happens. And so the partner of this person who's going through a crisis is like, what the heck is wrong with my partner? And what's happening is their partner is experiencing that maybe they don't have all the answers and they need to try something new. You know, so a lot of people in their midlife point will 
buy a fancy car or, you know, a lot of stereotypical things. And even worse is whenever they're both going through a midlife crisis at the same time, like if they're around the same age, hmm. <laughs> that can be catastrophic. It, it can appear out of the blue if you don't understand this is something that's going to happen. Your brain is going to force you to explore that side of your mind, whether you like it or not. And the only way this wouldn't happen is if you were able to deal with it before your, your brain makes you do it. If you can actually pinpoint and know this is normal, I am just going through a growing phase and you can give yourself the grace to do that, then crisis averted. Mm. Even though you will experience change and hopefully um, have humility then wow huh, midlife crisis over is that what that one is the midlife the so-called midlife crisis is the test of humility is that right it's the test of humility and okay. it's proof of subconscious mind because the second mind is the subconscious hmm. i wonder how that system developed do you know if they were just taking evidence and do you know how many different cultures they were reading because i wonder if this is something that's kind of endemic <laughs> to use a buzzword uh with um imperial cultures like like the one that kind of america follows and china follows. I, I haven't looked at how the research on this goes from country to country or continent to continent but it seems so deeply connected to the human condition that i would be shocked if it wasn't universal I do think that the placement that humans are in can influence experiencing certain life points at different times than others, you know, because like anything else, nothing's truly set in stone. <laughs> it's, it's all personal. You know, this is why it's hard to type people or box people in because you never know what's going to happen. They may have trauma to sort through first that will prolong them. They may even know what they need to do to get through this life point, but just are afraid to, you know. I see you've thought it through very well. Well, thank you for that answer. So I see that there is like some kind of comparison here. And then, and then the third one is the sole purpose. So after you've done your created purpose and you're like, how can I best use the things that I've been born with that have been given to me to do something more fulfilling? And that created purpose could be like volunteering, or it could show up as a way that, I don't know, heal family trauma, or could be any number of things that are uh, kind of like you intellectualize it, you say, well, this ought to be more fulfilling. Then the sole purpose is kind of a layer beyond that. Uh, and I don't know if it fits into this like four brain thing or the four or eight directions thing. But according to Bill Plotkin, it would be the eight directions are kind of like starting in the east, going south, east, south, Southwest, west, northwest, north, uh, northeast, and then a concluded life is in the east again. 
So we like come out of the east and return to the east. So there's that that kind of four four to eight directions thing going on. Apparently, um, their argument is that our imperial culture can often get, particularly in the West, can get stuck in like the south direction area where the maturity is supposed to happen. That kind of you you find a fulfilling um, kind of belonging with things because the culture, what Daniel Quinn would call mother culture has created a surrogate belonging that is paychecks and status symbols and things like that. Whereas um, the true sense of belonging is something that's more innate to us. So the idea is that if we can go through this um, challenging period of doing a kind of a descent underground to a unconscious exploration of ourselves we're going to go through a lot of crises or something and, and it's kind of inevitable like kind of a melting down of the ego when you realize that perhaps you have been burying something or something like that i feel like almost the myers-briggs thing you're talking about could could be used as a tool for navigating actually the i can't remember what they call it but something kind of like the um the soul canyon journey or the um the uh the death lodge ceremony which is what we're trying to deliberately induce in the in the purpose guide work and when you do that then you're supposed to confront your natural self um kind of uh naked in every sense with nature and just trying to get from nature the information that is supposed to be there for everyone to get that information that you have been filtering out and pushing to the side because your ego is just like, I need to survive. I just need to survive. And now you've kind of pushed that to the side and you go, Oh yeah, actually what I really am is spiritually speaking, the greatest postal worker ever. And you didn't realize you were the greatest postal worker ever. And that this is part of your mythopoetic identity because you just never like let yourself look at those things. And then suddenly your sole purpose, which is kind of challenging your, your default and created purposes sounds like it could create something kind of like what you were describing where there's um, yeah. A checkpoint, life, the checkpoint life point. Yeah. So then there's this life point moment, then it could just fade away and be like, Oh, that was a pleasant dream. But if you're hopefully truly eco awakened at that point into, into your, um, the information you're getting directly from creator and source and nature. Um, at that point, you should be able to start divesting yourself of certain practices and certain things that are just habitual or addictive or otherwise distracting you from what really makes you fulfilled, what really fulfills you on such a deep level that you couldn't have even designed it. Right. So then there's that the hopeful message of this work is that we all have that somewhere. The conflict I have with the work is that occasionally it can be very white frame or very uh, Western frame or very uh, kind of assuming that when someone is soul awakened, they will just have like a so-called eco awakening and like want to go like do a created purpose thing like I want to go clean plastic out of the ocean. Right. 
um, because that will feel fulfilling intellectually. You think it will feel fulfilling, but maybe when you have your soul awakening, uh, you realize, oh, my job is to sit in privilege and enjoy movies all day. That's what you have awakened to. So I, I get confused when they say you have to tune into what your soul truly is. But on the other hand, it, it comes attached to this um, religious belief in a way uh, that Bill Plotkin has designed for Westerners, which is that when you have your soul purpose awakening, you will automatically become like this, you know, radical environmentalist and we'll all save the world together. That's wonderful. Um, I hope that's the case, but I just, I have the feeling that some people, their sole purpose will actually be more um, subtle or my sole purpose is to come here and destroy the world for some reason. I don't know, you know, who knows what people will go through in that. So anyway, there's some, it sounds like there's some crossover with that tying this back into inter intergenerational trauma. I think that one argument for, for really doing our best to show commitment as we established last episode to uncovering and healing from intergenerational trauma is that we do, uh, we do escape the colonized mind of the, of the default purpose. And that doesn't perpetuate all the stuff we see, you know, destroying societies and families and everything right now. I have something, another thought on the inter, intergenerational healing. I mean, of course, when you have that concept of healing, what you're not talking about is the trauma, right? So I think one of the traumas that I think is worth exploring a bit is the connection between the physical and metaphysical as it relates to our health and our diets. Um, think about how the the way people talk about illness and disease, it's like, oh, cancer runs in our family or heart, heart disease runs in our family. And I'm like, actually eating terrible runs in the family. <laughs> and it has yeah, for a yeah. very, very long time. Great, great grandma cooked this. Great grandma learned how to cook that. Grandma still cooks that. Well, and we are physically our, our own family. I mean, we, 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 we drink breast milk, if we're lucky, hopefully we can have that when we're young. And right. that means that we're getting the same toxins perhaps that have been yeah. passed down. Um, so it wouldn't be any surprise at all that there appears to be a, a genetic cause or a, but it's like the difference between causation and, uh, and correlation. It's people have to keep those things separate, but I, I think, so often people get caught up in, oh, this runs in our family. And it's like, well, yes, but it's not because you have some defunct code in your DNA that's just like punking everybody. Yeah, I, I do wonder about that. So defunct, yeah, the defunct code or the uh, so-called bad code. I, I don't see. I don't think bad code gets handed down. If it does, I don't think that it gets maintained just because it's bad code. I think that it stays, quote, bad code because of the most likely the acidosis and the corruption of the cells by an acidic body. Yeah. sounds like you're talking kind of like germ theory versus terrain theory and how a little bit, no. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Sure. They go together, I think. Uh, but you know, those kinds of things, I, I think that 
it helps a lot to be able to step back and go, oh, okay, these people were told they had cancer and they got the same kinds of like conventional Western medicine treatment for it and they all died from it. And it's like, that's not the, that's not the same thing as they got some bad code and there's nothing you can do about it. You're a descendant of that. You're going to get that. Yeah, the most confusing one to me is the depression, like the depression runs in the family. I'm like, that's a really strong statement, because there's so many things that that make us depressed in this world. How can you say, how can you pin pin that and say, well, it's just a chemical reaction, you know, I can't possibly be influenced by all the horrible traumas going on and like, right. It's the metaphysical uh, toxins that have built up and are manifesting as what people would identify as depression. And of course, a family with someone who's in it, who they say has depression and has been treated for it, each generation, they're going to get to be more experts on depression. And so more people will be characterized as having depression whenever they're acting like their aunt, you know, Sally or whatever. Mm. Jeez, (laughs) man perpetuates the cycle of the trauma so i think willing had something to say about metaphysics and physics is that an invitation for me to voice into this space i'm hoping that yeah we've gotten to that point where you were kind of hoping to get to (laughs) um there's lots to uh wonder about there's so, so many ways of knowing that are being offered into this space i I was thinking about um, the storyline that was at the beginning of our time and carried over from last time about um, the family dynamic that was that's part of this storyline. And uh, the storytelling for me is really wonderful because I can't tell if it's a, a comedy or a tragedy, but there's some drama. But that hasn't been the details of which weren't spoken of. So that's kind of interesting. So there's quite, I don't know if you can, can listeners see the question marks around my head? Anyway, there are lots of question marks around my head. We don't have to go into the detail of that. What I wanted to say, though, was in the storyline, there was a decision made. Somebody became willing and took an effort. And then it was almost like, okay, this is going to get metaphysical because what I saw was a space-time event. Then it went metaphysical because the intent was there. Thankfully, the impact was, I would say, positive. And then synchronicity began and somebody Somebody was talking about the crossings, the family crossings that were going on. And it was almost like, and I think my sense is that epigenetics works this way. Like there's plasticity in the brain. I think there's plasticity in the body, the vagus nerve, and we can impact the DNA when we understand the mechanisms that um, are in what we're in, our spacesuits, our bodies. So I hope that made some kind of sense to this conversation, but that was the strong impression I was getting. And then these other 
ways of knowing these other tool sets that are ways of kind of analyzing things out in space time because it, it's all yeah, happening it's all happening at the same time but there's this intergenerational thing that is a reality and when max and i had this especially when uh uh my dad max's grandpa was around when the three of us were working on healing together there was an acceleration you're talking about when we we interviewed merlin <laughs> the interview, I think, revealed the reality that we were wondering about, because it seemed like there was evidence that, oh, my gosh, in the three generations in a lifetime accelerated all of our, I think, healing and growth. And I think that the metaphysics of that is that it goes up and down the, di- the DNA, it goes up and down the chain. Yes. Yeah. It's, yeah. All, at the, it's all at the same time. So there's my kind of metaphysical offering to the wondering that's going on in this conversation and then also from last week's episode. Wow. Is that, is that too spacey for the I haven't gone off planet yet, but almost very close. <laughs> Bring it. We need more of that in this world. Well, the plasma through the sun is a better way than heavy metal spaceships. I'll just say it that way. What we do with lucid dreaming and what we do in the power of what happens in sleep and rest. And for me, I experience it. I call it the angels visit me at night and help me out. I don't know where I go at night. It's a mystery. I think I would like to take my consciousness into that and be able to return and tell the tales of that. Uh, yeah, can you tell loosely. us more loosely. about that? Or well, I think it's how I think that's how we are built. We're in these spaceships, these skin sacks, and it's all in there. We don't need a we don't need a spaceship to go off planet. We can do it with what was given to us by the I'll say the creator. Mm-hmm. And through those that same those same I'll call them technologies. Uh, those same realities. That's how intergenerational healing happens. I think we heard a story of the metaphysics of that early in this program. Now, maybe that's a huge stretch, but I'm going to put it out there. I hear you. And I just want to, I want to acknowledge that. Yeah. Like many of the things that we were talking about earlier, Myers-Briggs and purpose guide and stuff is the kind of, it tries to delve into soul, but it's very like intellectual in a way. And I think that what you're pointing out is more like when Riley became more open to healing, then all of a sudden so-called coincidences started happening. She saw, I, I heard a story of she saw it happening. She saw what was going on with her parent and grandparent and stuff that she knew in her subconscious stuff, stuff that her, I'm going to risk her soul knew was affirmed to her soul and her subconscious. And she celebrated that it made, I see it was a need that was met and offered her a lot of joy. Yeah. And that's great. I was like, 
<laughs> we're getting deep here because uh-huh yeah how does it feel in your body now did you get a chill i did yeah i think that's an indicator i feel a bit overwhelmed like i can't think of what to say how about your body let's go into our bodies right now what's our body communicating to us right now i feel like i'm kind of almost floating Ooh, are your feet firmly on the ground yeah they're there i can see them. all right I can feel my pulse throughout my whole torso just going down, like, but not in an uncomfortable sense. Right on. Wow, like you're radiating. Yeah. Thank you. I get Uh, nervous. I start, like, fidgeting with USB drives. (laughs) Wow, yeah. And you're right. The Myers-Briggs, it's very intellectual, and it's the cerebral way of explaining the feelings of others and the wants and desires and the purpose yeah and the nature mm. of everyone and how we nurture others mm. it's a very wide scope condemned into this quite literally a, a box of mm. four personalities but when you take the fourth side of the mind, which I believe is the, I think the uh, proof of superego, the fourth side of the mind, is when you reach death. Because I think on a psychological level, we are all craving that next part of life. So once you conquer the ego the subconscious and the unconscious all those life points the proof of superego is the reason for being you know what impact did your life make on others what was it that was so significant Mm, was it meaningful was it meaningful and that's what the superego is however i am firmly a believer that the superego can be reached before then Hmm. I can attest to that because your being on this has a lot of meaning for me. I'm kind of blown away by what you're sharing. So you're having a significant, you are a significant presence in my life right now. Good. I'm glad. Yeah. Yeah, It's all. I see you. Wow. I'm like chills. I'm still radiating. (laughs) (laughs) I know we're not physically in the same place, but our metaphysics are colliding a little, you know. Oh yeah. That was in the well, that was in the Avatar movie. They I mean that movie goofed up on other things. I don't know if you see movies much, but and then Ubuntu, I think, is the word that Africans might use. Your your living makes my living. Ah. That's so cool. I know what he means. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that way. Mm, mm, mm. Dang. It, wow. That must be partly what it's like as a grandparent, too, to like feel like that's it's not just having fun with someone younger than you that you happen to be related to. It's there's a whole lot more meaning in that connection. Can I can I talk about a trauma? Oh yeah, please. Okay. What is that? This is a trauma that I have. We in our society we talk to uh, each other about about things like Ubuntu, 
and um, I don't know, namaste and things that are really beautiful things. And we try to spread this like awareness, people just wisecrack about it. Just like, uh, that's just, you cool. know, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, so we're all going to hold hands and, yeah. and sing together. And it's yeah, like, cool. yeah. You know what? Not bad. It's not bad. Why is it that not bad things are so belittled and pushed aside and like, no, no, we we need like practical solutions right now. You know, not none of this hippie hoity-toity granola stuff. You know, why why do why do we why do we do that still? When we sounds like you're ready to go underneath the trauma and go to the core wounding. Did we talk about wounding you? <laughs> I'm wounded by this. I'm wounded by huh? people in our society who are so against these deeper, deeper awarenesses and, and will like, and have been shouting them down in popular media and in, and in our interactions with each other to try to, you know, well, that's not, well, that's not survival. You know, that's not. Don't well, you think it- preemptive strikes so that they're trying to avoid feeling their trauma and i mean trauma has a it's yeah taste it (laughs) it's not pleasant people want avoid it yeah i have a couple of thoughts on this if uh because we can always go back into the wounding of that and the impact that happens on us. But I do have an answer for why society is structured the way it is. Now, like I said, I don't like the idea of typology in general. I like not putting people in boxes. However, if you put it on a more cognitive standpoint, You have eight cognitive functions in the human mind. And there are two in particular that society has used for years and years. You need all the cognitive functions to function as a person. But you can be more dominant in one over the other. And the particular... Uh, I guess, function for society is called introverted sensing. And what this does is it keeps everything in a structure so that everything's familiar. There's an organized structure and system that is based on memory. You know, take when you get arrested, you know, anything you say can and will be used against you in the court of law. That is very introverted sensing like way to do things and I think if the world were based on like an extroverted function for instance that is constantly spreading outward rather than condensing everything inside hence introverted sensing then it would be a lot more loosey-goosey for lack of a better term (laughs) And I think people would have more freedom, but there would also be a lot of disorder in a way. And I honestly have a hard time picturing what the world would be like if there were more people that used those functions. But 
40% of the population are introverted sensing, um, either dominant or second function users. And so I think they have just <laughs> kind of just been like, we are the majority, so we will decide how it is going to go. We'll find like-minded people and we'll make a structure. I know that was very complicated, but it is hard to explain. <laughs> Hopefully, It I'm actually good. does make a great deal of sense, except that, I mean, what I heard without understanding all the terms is like, well, the majority kind of figured something out that works for most of us. And that still, I want to understand, though, what you mean by the introverted, um, like, what did you call that? And, and how that decision set goes? Yeah. So the cognitive functions, you could organize them. There are eight in total. Four of them are called deciding functions. And then four of them are called perceiving functions. And... Uh, within both of those categories, there are two introverted variants and two extroverted variants of each other. So if you have introverted sensing, there's also extroverted sensing. And, and then on the flip point of that, there's intuition, which is more metaphysical and future-based, whereas the sensing, fo sensing functions focus on what is and what was. So there can be people that are more prone to use intuition over sensing. And then there are some people that will use sensing over intuition. Hence the big variety of people in this world. And not only that, they can be in different areas of the psyche, which can make them completely different in the way they affect a person. Yeah. And so like in the school system, institutionally, my understanding is the curriculums, the the programs, and so forth, are largely geared towards introverted sensors. If you have a more rare personality type, you're going to have a lot more difficult time in the system. Yeah, that's where you get kids that are diagnosed with ADHD or ADD. Right, and then they have to be medicated so that they can be more like the introverted sensors in the group. Mm-hmm. It's a form of behavioral engineering, pharmaceutical engineering on behavior. That's uh, really sad. That's interesting. So they tested a bunch of people and they were like, well, 40% of this population makes decisions based on what immediate ego stuff based on the senses. And well, so it's kind of like nudging people into place with like threats and rewards or well, I, I think that introverted sensing, it's, it's largely based on memory of how things are, like a system that's in place. And so people who are lead introverted sensors, they care a lot more about tradition. I mean, if the anchor man has been telling you for however many years the news, then surely he must be very truthful. He sounds very grandfatherly. Introverted sensors have a sort of give me a pillow and a blanket, you know, a comfort zone kind of thing. So you can have a lot of Zen chill people that are introverted sensing users, but where it can get really intense is whenever you have things like the justice system who are not particularly forgiving. 
because they're not open to a new way. I think that stagnative thinking can happen in anybody, regardless of which function that they prefer over the others. But I do tend to think introverted sensors have a harder time with this because they've been used to um, this trustworthy source and now it's being taken away from them. You have rocked the very foundation of their lives. Mm-hmm. Is there a, is there an introverted sensor that uh, their senses are like of memories of the way things were in another life? Like where it's kind of like, I'm here on earth, but things are more physical here. <laughs> this is weird. I want to, I want to base all my judgments on how I sensed it was in the ethereal space where there aren't these bodies in the way when we want to like read each other's minds or things like that. That is interesting. I actually haven't thought about that before. I would say the sensing functions usually care more about the physical world and the intuition functions care more about the metaphysics of the world. But everyone has both. It just depends what they prefer to use. In a way, it sounds like intuition is a sense, but it's Mm -hmm. a sense that senses something that is a more subtle energy. I agree with that. Yeah, that's why it's a perceiving function. It's what it does. And that is the area that people are underestimated in. So you take an intuition dominant, you know, like my father here, he had <laughs> different ways of viewing and I have a lot of sensors in my family and they had a hard time figuring out why does he think differently than us? He's, you know, <laughs> I, re- I remember this being said to me, your father has a lot of weird ideas on how the world works and you know i've seen him make a lot of progress and i'm proud of him and all this and i'm like okay (laughs) sensor well i'm a sensing type myself but you wouldn't know look at me because i've been raised by an intuitive two intuitives (laughs) so ace when you got your will up to go have a conversation Yes. Did your gut or your intuition tell you? I mean, I, that's why they call it gut feelings, I think. Did your gut tell you? Yeah, my intuition gave me all the the green lights. I yeah. I felt very much at peace. Yeah. And yeah, I'm, that's a guess, especially now that I hear that you have a high eye. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I, I felt really... Uh, amazing about it i i was at total peace he he was a bit nervous but he was um he was a bit stiff but the next time okay i talked about it last time we're good on that the next time he was very warm and then i met with my mother and him the next day and mostly my mother and they asked since they were at our house for dinner which was just a very loving experience it was very healing for us and then you know, I didn't anticipate this, but uh, Riley and her brother, they both initiated things with my dad for things to do together, like to do a date together the next day. Um, 
So now they've like they're starting projects together and uh you know calling each other on the phone and making <laughs> plans together and it's so neat to see my parents really jump in and embrace what they have now that really they never had before and uh seems like everyone is making the most of it not taking it anything for granted now oh definitely I'm glad you i'm glad you listened to your gut oh i said hi i I don't know if you're an introvert. You're a high end, though. Yeah, I'm both. You're yeah, an high end? He has the introverted variant of intuition. My mom has the extroverted variant of in- intuition. So he's basically the organizer of the metaphysical world. He'll narrow things down, you know, go in, and then she will go out and look and explore all these new ideas and she'll bring it to him and be like organize this please help me find a conclusion (laughs) right and in in terms of how the personalities combined between me and jenny we're in the myers-briggs typing system what we're what they would call a golden pairing because like each of my top four functions in their order so my introverted variant hers is the same function but it's extroverted and then vice versa so my next one being extroverted she has the same thing introverted and so on and so forth it goes all the way down all the way down the eight actually Mm -hmm. so that's called a golden pairing so like yeah like she's saying jenny is the uh extroverted intuition person and so she throws tons of ideas at me, like machine gun style, bam, 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 bam. <laughs> and I just sort of like chop them up and organize them and then feed them back to her. Because some of her ideas are absolutely terrible. And then some of them were like, oh, that's a golden nugget right there. Uh-huh. You know. So I can quickly sift between them. And then, you know, she does the same thing for me with my feelings. I'm the extroverted feeler. I can't really feel without her. I have to sort of spit all of that at her. And she's like, okay, I've got well, this. Well, you can feel without her. You just don't know what to make of your feelings until you have her organize them for you. Yeah, thank you. That's- it almost seems like Myers-Briggs is potentially the, um, oh, this is going to sound not respectful, but it is. I mean, it's like, I deeply appreciative that this is kind of like the Dungeons and Dragons book version of like a dating website. You can take this book around and be like, Oh, this is me. Look at this book. What is you? Okay, good. It, or like, or, or, astro- or astrological kind of like, Oh, we've got, you know, our planets are aligned in the same house or whatever. <laughs> there are dating websites that use the Myers-Briggs and I can see why. However, I it's too, it's super complicated, but it's also overly simplified mm. because if you start thinking, oh, my, I'm this type. So uh, my golden pair is this one. I need to look for that type in particular and it just get too. It could well, be too reductive, right? It gets too introverted sensing for my taste. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, now we're back to it. That so uh, we can't just get out of the system. Help! <laughs> <laughs> you gonna reveal your Myers Briggs, and has it changed? Because it sounds like you probably have identified yourself in this system. Is that? She's, a, she's amazing at identifying types. It took me a year, but I can type most people unless if they have harmony with multiple of their minds. Mm. So if you have someone that 
has a gateway door to their third and second mind in a healthy way, it is extremely hard to type them. You want to give it a try with me? <laughs> I will just go ahead and say before I forget, since you asked our types, I she spent some time typing me and she she says I'm an INFJ and then she's an ISTP. Mm-hmm. So my brother is also an INFJ and oh. the, the INFJ male only makes up like 0.5% of the population. I'm not sure why or how they got this st- statistic, but <laughs> it was kind of bizarre. So that means that my wife, Jenny, is uh, an ENFP. Yeah, as my golden pair, she's an ENFP, which ENFP is the third side of my mind. So it was interesting that whenever I was telling Riley about my meeting with my dad, and she was like, oh, it sounds like you went into your third side um enfp for this mm-hmm. meeting but tell them why, why you said that what was it about what i did that made you say that the enfp is of course my mom's type and she uses extroverted intuition to explore possibilities and outcomes of the future Extroverted intuition is all about everyone's future whereas introverted intuition is about one's future just you know, yourself personally. And then her second function is called introverted feeling. So being aligned with the self and your own morals and being able to process your feelings internally and not have to be so expressive about it. And so when my dad, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) when my dad met with his dad, he was very calm, very stable And knowing this is the right thing, you know, introverted feeling and extroverted intuition, I know good could come from this because I'm seeing a couple of possibilities now. Mm. I'm not condensed to only one predicted outcome. And my feelings aren't going to merge with his, aren't going to get all wonky because it's all inside. <laughs> fun. That's so great. Fun. So it's just fascinating as I'm telling her about how the meeting goes, and she's like, Oh, you just slipped all the way to your third mind for this. I was like, Oh wow, I didn't realize which that. is the three-quarter life point whenever you can reach your third mind. Thanks. Wow. Mm-hmm. Get get what you can from me now. I'm advancing quick. <laughs> I keep hearing like I know I already mentioned this, but now it's like I'm coming back to it like astrology, because mm-hmm. because you're just talking about like quarter half and mid quarter, and I'm hearing cycles, and right. I'm hearing like Saturn returns right. every thirty years, mm-hmm. Jupiter every twelve, oh. and like it's interesting how all these in, times kind of come together to some degree. Yes. And Calderwood's research, I believe, if I'm getting that name right, who studied buds, uh, flower buds for for decades and has found a correlation between the positions of the planets and the shape of the bud and how it gets the and how it's shaped by like where things are. So it's like a direct scientific confirmation of uh, astrology and its influence on biological organisms. That's that's interesting, and uh, I I need to look into that a bit more. But before I forget, Bill did ask if you would 
try and type him. And I will say also for the benefit of everyone here and our listeners, I guess, she has taken some time to type you, Max, uh, via our Marco <laughs> exchanges. Guilty. <laughs> oh, boy. Would oh, you like boy. to hear your type uh, per? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me give me my type. You have time to reveal this? Well, now the, you're putting me the, on the spot. Right. This is a, it's not meant to be a parlor trick, Dad. Uh, huh? no i'm joking it's not you yeah. i'm talking to i was i was role-playing i was yeah. riley talking to to ace but i see never mind never mind never mind yeah i uh, i respect the system i know there's at least one person in my life it works very well for him but i wish he would share his ideas more so we could have more of an exchange about how it works so well for him because I'm fascinated by the conclusions he comes to. But they're they're in his head. And he's an E, which is really amazing. An E type? Strong E type. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Max's type? Well, full disclaimer, Max, you're a very developed person and are already pulling from multiple sides of your mind. So even if I have a type for you in mind... It might not be your main type, your primary. It could be the third mind or the second mind. But that's because you're you're so healthy and developed, it makes it more difficult. But I, I do agree with her overall typing here. I can't type like she can, but once she says it and reasons through it, I'm good at thinking that through with her. So I can I could see that. That's entertaining. I the one time I looked at this system before about six seven years ago maybe my friend was like you might be this and i was like i feel like i'm this and this can i switch between them and he was like no you're supposed to just narrow it down and i'm like okay whatever if you tell me which types those are i could tell you if they can coexist together in the same line (laughs) (laughs) what happens if they can't and i'm both (laughs) (laughs) then well uh Yeah, or you've been this type. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay, let's do it, let's do it. Okay, well, I have suspected that you're an introverted feeling dominant person because it is all about morals and even you um, bouncing from job to job and not sticking with marketing because it was against your morals indicates that you lead with your own morality and you make decisions based on that feels doesn't everybody (laughs) yeah you see if it feels like common sense then i probably typed you right (laughs) at least with one of the letters doesn't everybody says the infp yeah (laughs) i think you're an infp um you could still be an isfp i've been torn between the two but i'll go back to the polarity so if you have introverted feeling and you're dominant spot that means you have an extroverted thinking function as your fourth function does that mean like when you have it in your first your opposite takes the takes Mm -hmm. the fourth because you're kind of like pushing that aside it's the polarity with that function so it's suggesting the system suggests that if you like break down into your angelic or demonic realm uh, you are like liable to like go polar, hmm. like do a polar flip. Yeah, you can do a cognitive flip. Now, if you were to cognitive switch to using your extroverted thinking over your introverted feeling, 
That would be you entering your subconscious mind, your second mind. Is that just for me or is that just for, I don't Everybody's personality is structured like that. It's very orderly, but the different functions make up the different personalities. So it just depends on the order that it is in. So you're saying that order is particular to... This is a hard thing to talk about purely orally like this yeah i want visuals i want to see like and i will will say she she spent a few weeks where each night she had a whiteboard up and she was drawing the the diagram and showing me how the polarity of the functions and like okay these are deciding functions these are perceiving functions and they have a, a polarity with each other so then i was able to understand okay these are the the top four functions well to simplify this podcast we'll take a step back from the four sides of the mind and just focus on one personality type right wait 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 before we step back from that can we like capture this and put it in a can we put it in the show notes sure yeah like a visual she can she can email you some screenshots of the um Mm-hmm. of the typology chart. I want my Myers-Briggs birth chart. <laughs> yes. Now, I don't own <laughs> copyright to those things. So if you were to look up C.S. Joseph, he came up with a lot of this. Okay. Although not all of the copyright is for him either. Just certain elements of the type grid. The type grid itself is his. But That's a, that's a good enough copyright. Okay. I can, I can confirm whether you're close to my understanding of myself. If... You can give me like, here's you as opposed to such and such. Then I'm, I'm able to go, oh. Okay. So I'm not that thing. I'm more this thing. Let her, let her finish telling you the top four functions for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if you have introverted feeling as a first function, that means you're leading with a deciding function as opposed to a perceiving function, which is where sensing and intuition is. The deciding sensing and intuition are in wait no sorry sensing and intuition are perceiving perceiving and the deciding functions are the feeling and thinking ones so instead of just like feeling my way through something i will like think about it and go i'm going to do this and like i like make little plans or something it's <laughs> Hold on, Max. I will get into this. Uh, well, I don't. I I'm not going to be able to hold it in my mind if I don't understand the definitions. Okay. So I'm sorry if it has to go so slow. <laughs> so, yeah. Feel free to interrupt me and ask questions. But okay, introverted feeling is about morals, and so for you to make decisions primarily based on your morals is very fi or introverted feeling which is why I typed you like that. And that would give your fourth function your fourth function to be extroverted thinking, which is about effectiveness, what works in the real world because introverted feeling is so internal what feels right as a person and in my soul. It's very in tune with identity, really morals. And extroverted thinking is about what works in the physical element what works for other people and the collective so you juxtaposed introverted and extroverted yeah so okay and you're saying that generally introverted 
first house or sorry, first mind put their fourth mind uh, tend to be extroverted kind of like. Well, I will go ahead and define because whenever I say cognitive functions. I'm sorry. I think we have to time out. Oh, no. We're getting into too much and it's eight o'clock. Oh, gosh. No. All right. Give me the summary and then we'll we'll sign out. Okay. I'll stop asking questions. INFP, your second function is extroverted intuition. You're constantly looking at new ideas and possibilities, and you're looking at everybody's futures and kind of where we all unite, very um, into the metaphysics of things, which would mean your third function is introverted sensing. So you have a system that works for you. And so, wait, that would be too much to get into right now. (laughs) (laughs) It all sounds great. And I think, yeah, like I should have, I could have used you on my purpose guide, uh, (laughs) unconscious journey recently, but um, we'll, we'll catch up next Wednesday, maybe. Yes, we can, we can continue further. Yeah, that would be amazing. And I'll maybe bring a visual that you can look at. Yeah, feel free to email that to me as well. Yeah, okay. also real quick, um, my middle brother, who I haven't seen in over three years, he's invited us over to their house for a get together. So he's come on board just since yesterday. And <laughs> we're really looking forward to seeing them going out to their house and swimming and eating out or whatever out there. But uh, that could be. That's super. It's, it's going to be next week, one day. I don't know what day, but if it's going to be Wednesday, you'll be the first person I tell. So, all right. We'll, we'll have to take whatever day they can do. So, yes. I'll let you know, though. All right. Well, we'll let you guys go and then um, Willing and I can wrap up. Okay. Great. Thank you, guys. Thank, um, you. You Thank you so much. Yeah, this has been awesome. Like, this is rejuvenating for me. Yes, I'm so glad. I I hope that it it wasn't too scatterbrained. No, it was great. <laughs> we even got the computer up and going pretty decently. So, all right, let's do it. All right, guys, thanks. We'll we'll see. We'll talk to you then. Thank you. In the meantime, let's keep, let's it, keep it real, real together. together. All right. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Sweet dreams. Yes. <laughs> Wow. Any final thoughts about that? That was kind of, I, I, I admit a lot of confusion around Myers-Briggs, but, but it's cool to see someone sorting the world through a deep understanding of others and acceptance of others and their differences. Yeah. I have heard a lot of good things about this model. I have a book to study it, but um, she gave proper attributions to C.S. Joseph and she's, got a lot of mastery with it so it's it's really fun to hear her bring this out yes yeah so fun she might be i mean if she's willing to to stick around i can imagine future episodes where we have some very different perspectives and she could just be like all right everybody good clean fight here's you know (laughs) you are the imtf you are the pqst and you just gotta like all right, bear that in mind so that when you're going at each other, where you each are coming from. <laughs> Role playing. And uh, I think, you know, the idea of the labyrinth that was being bandied about with other of our friends, people could uh, try on personalities and different types, maybe. 
and play. Yeah. Yes, I'm fascinated by the the depth psychology that's a part of it too. Did we cover everything about intergenerational trauma and intergenerational oh, healing? We're just, no, we're just scratching. We, I know. It's like it seems like the more we talk about it, the more it's like the main topic. Well, their story is revealing the reality of it, which is wonderful. So that and that's real time. I mean, they're they're in this story. I do not know what the situation of their comedy was or their tragedy. We don't know that part of the story. And they're it's great. They're stretching it out. I love it. But we get these updates. This happened. This is happening. I mean, what, two weeks? Yeah, yeah, just a couple of weeks. There's dramatic changes going on. There's a transformation, apparently, that they're experiencing. I love that. I mean, that really <laughs> speaks to the possibilities. And then I, you know, the, the woundedness. Yeah, I've got things to share on that. And what's the relationship of trauma to woundedness is something to explore. The trauma is a felt sense in our bodies. So that's what the literature says about it. And then there's, if it's not digested, if it's not titrated, this is some of the language that's used as metaphors, then we end up blowing that trauma out in nasty ways to people that we encounter. We don't want to do that anymore. Let's not do that anymore together. (laughs) I mean, we try, we try our level best, but we never know without, without uncovering. uh, I think that's the big push is to try to look at what traumas are lurking there in our bodies that we haven't explored. Speaking of that. um, Yeah. The reported 182 unmarked graves discovered of the children that died from abuse yeah residential school in in british columbia yeah that's uh that right there is well it's hard to come up with words i'm i want to say that that's an uncovering yeah it's an uncovering that's happening yes it's necessary. I feel it's necessary. I've heard more than one Native friend talk about it in terms of resurrected lives, which is a awesome and powerful metaphor for those children. I mean, there's a whole other topic. I I should probably save it because it's. um, I mean, but a really powerful story I heard recently was about defenders of the rainforest, Uh the many murders that take place of the of the defenders uh-huh. in in corporate interests down south yeah and in they did a walk a powerful walk of memory to the um well it's just thinking about it makes me choked up but they they do a big old walk 
to cover the amount of trees that are missed, dearly missed, and to remember the a rainforest defender, they they went to her grave and they walked from the grave back to the place where the murder took place together. To, to, as a statement to say, we will not forget this isn't over. Right. She's, she's in a way that's almost another resurrection. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll be interested to know if the way the Myers Briggs tool is used in um, metamorphic mind, can we diagnose? I know, I know we can, we can type. I don't think she would use diagnose. We can type individuals. I'm thinking it's probably likely that we can type societies also. Mm. Mm. Because we're, I mean, the United States of America is convicted of a lot of that. Yeah. There, I think probably if it were diagnosed and there were some kind of I don't know if we're convicted as much as we're that some people are convicted to bring it out. We're definitely implicated. Implicated, yeah. Implicated in some kind of collective narcissistic personality disorder. That's what the genocide is about. That's what the enslavement is about. And the propensity to want to just call that something that happened in the past and does not, it's not a part of us now. I don't go along with that. There's a conscience in there's a, there's a morality and there are ethics involved. So yeah, that perpetuate and that are part of our collective memory. Yeah. And I think we want to break the cycles. Yeah, we, we do. We'll talk more about it next week. <laughs> what else? Uh, no, I just I do wonder. I do. I do have a lot of wonder about it because there's so little that I really know. I just have a sense about it that makes me want to talk about it. Well, I agree. I agree. All right. Well, thanks a lot for the time. Mm-hmm.